What's going on, NFL football fans? This is the NFL All 32 podcast, presented by Football Game Plan and the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. David Hassigan here, as always, with Troy Anthony, Alex Marinoni, and the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. How's everybody doing this afternoon? Uh, I, I, there's been some rage in the studio here pregame over a variety of subjects, but uh, we feeling okay? We feeling fired up a little bit? We're okay. We're okay. <laughs> We're okay. Alex, Everything's all good. <laughs> Alex, Alex is trying to settle down. Troy's just being Troy. He's chilling over there, and Emery's just basking in the glory of last night's game. That's I can't all. believe Troy doesn't eat chocolate. Troy doesn't. <laughs> That's still blowing my mind. I didn't say I don't mind. eat chocolate. Eating chocolate by itself, I don't do because. I don't want to say it's bland, but I just I can't comprehend just eating chocolate by itself. I need it to go with something. Troy's the face. We, we're we're looking for a free agent <laughs> to potentially take Troy's spot. So if anybody of you actually like chocolate on their own, although why don't we might as well have the debate now that we are post Halloween, best filling for chocolate: peanut butter or caramel? Peanut, peanut butter, hands down. Thank peanut you. Butter, peanut butter, Ooh. easily. Caramel. 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 Thank you very much. It might be a cultural difference. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I let you bring it up. Folks, <laughs> we got a lot to talk we about got on that the podcast. decided pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have a lot to talk about on the podcast here. Um, week nine scores to go through. A lot of surprises this week in the NFL. A lot of shocking results. We'll talk about some, um, some interesting moves, both on the field and on social media that happened this week. We're going to talk about some quarterback situations that are intriguing, to say the least. Can we use that word, Emery? A little intriguing. intriguing. And some coaching evaluations as we head into week 10. Let's start off with the scores, and let's start with the Thursday night game. San Francisco wins again, 28-25 over the Cardinals. Jimmy Garoppolo throws for four touchdown passes. That's the most for a 49ers quarterback since week 15. Kyler Murray looked like he was going to be right in this with this game. He looked like he was hamstrung by his head coach. Yeah, this looks like a lot like the Detroit game early in the year. This yep. time, uh, they ended up on a losing end of the stick. They had an opportunity. Shout out to the offense for fighting through. Although that touchdown to Andy Isabella was, I don't want to say fluky, yep. but San Francisco was in control of this ball game, I thought, throughout because of their defense. Move now to Sunday. The first game of the day was in London. Another morning kickoff. Houston taking on Jacksonville. No J.J. Watt? Who's J.J. Watt? The Texans defense shows up again. 26-3 over Jacksonville. Houston still moving along and looking like they're going to be one of the better teams this year. Yeah, that defense doesn't miss a beat. Stifles the Jaguars. Holds them to only three points. Deshaun Watson continues his MVP pace, adding two touchdowns. And the Texans actually get a monster game on the ground here from Carlos Hyde going for 160 yards. Redskins taking on Buffalo. The Bills' defense comes back to life this week. But more questions abound in Washington. 24-9 for Buffalo. First game for Buffalo this year with no offensive touchdowns allowed. Was this the Bills defense stepping up or the Redskins offense not showing up? Uh, I think a little bit of both. Dwayne Haskins is his first career start in this one and actually played pretty well. Um, they relied on the running game. Adrian Peterson goes for over 100 yards, but they were able to move the ball, just weren't able to punch it in and get, the, get in the end zone. They settled for three field goals and uh, the Bills offense uh, for the most part, looked fine. It's uh, They started off hot, and then they just hit the stag. They have to be a little bit more consistent. But luckily, down the stretch, they get a bunch of sub-500 teams. Dwayne Haskins just thrown into the teeth of another tough defense. He's not exactly having the best start to his career. Titans taking on the Panthers. Titans looked, have looked better the last couple weeks after making a quarterback change, but the Carolina Panthers and Christian McCaffrey in particular keep rolling 30-20 to for Carolina. First ever win against the Titans. It's funny how quickly people hopped off that Tannehill bandwagon. <laughs> so, shout out to Christian McCaffrey, man, that Panthers defense. Both of those two have been the most consistent thing in Carolina thus far this season. Minnesota taking on the Chiefs at Arrowhead. A lot of questions about whether the Chiefs would be any good at all without Patrick Mahomes. People seem to forget that there are 10 other guys on that offense, plus a decent quarterback backing him up. Chiefs win on a walk-off field goal, 26-23 from Butker. The Chiefs team without their star player looking okay. Yeah, this was a really good game. Went down to the wire, and in that last drive, Matt Moore actually fumbled, and the Vikings were close to getting that back. But monster game from Damian Williams, 125 yards on the ground. We know he had the 91-yard touchdown, but the Chiefs finally put a, a missing piece in play and pull out the victory against the Vikings. I love that this game has fallen to Alex <laughs> Marinoni. Jets taking on the Dolphins in what was the ugly game on the schedule going into this week credit to the Miami Dolphins to get their first win of the year. Their first win since twenty, uh, since week 14 of 2018, 26-18 over the Jets. 
Ew. That's I, all the way I can say <laughs> about this game. I, I'm not exactly sure where to even start. Uh, I got to say, Le'Veon Bell, only 66 yards on the ground. Definitely not on him. So the fact that you can only put, muster up 66 yards against this Miami defense is uh, pretty much tells a lot of this game. Um, Adam Gase looked lost at times for the New York Jets. And credit to the Dolphins, Mike Gusecki uh, finally showing up, probably having his yep. best career day in two years. Um, Preston Williams looking like a legit wide receiver. And Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, just just taking advantage of the lowly Jets thrown for 288 and three touchdowns. So much for Bell getting more touches than this one. Chicago taking on the Eagles. We thought this one might be a game that the Eagles could rebound, and they did. Not convincingly, though, 22-14 over Chicago. Well, because, again, I feel like the Eagles' passing game is just tight end pop pass centric. You know, yep. just tight end short over the middle, and they do that all the way down the field. I still love the fact that um, their running game is starting to find success. Both Jordan Howard and also Miles Sanders. I think that coupled with the way uh, Wentz is feeding the ball to the tight ends, it's a, a recipe for success. Plus, you look at last week, again, they got tested last week against the Bills defense. Same situation here, and they were able to have success once again. So I think last week kind of helped prep them for this week. A lot of storylines in this next one. The Steelers taking on the Colts. Jacoby Brissett goes down with an injury in this one. The Colts stay competitive, but Mike Tomlin the Steelers have righted the ship. They're back to 500, 26-24 win for Pittsburgh. Yeah, this was also a really good game. And when Brissett came, went down, Hoyer came in the game and stepped up. He threw for three touchdowns. Uh, Vinatieri actually missed a field goal at the end of this one, which ultimately led to the Colts losing. But, yeah, Tomlin is doing a great job with the Steelers team finding a way from their win. Trey Edmonds steps in with Connor being out, averages 6.1 on the ground, going for 73 yards. And Jalen Samuels was the leading receiver with 13 catches out of the backfield. Steelers finding ways to get it done let's move on to the next one this was one of the intriguing games of the weekend Detroit taking on the Raiders the question would be who would have the dominance against the each uh, team's respective defense the running game of Oakland proved to be the winner here 31-24 Oakland Jacobs with an incredible day yeah a true balance attack too from Oakland not just from Jacobs 120 yards and two touchdowns is definitely really well but Derek Carr thrown for 289 and two scores they were able to do whatever they wanted and the Lions they just they really need a running game I know uh the injury down to Johnson but um just another another poor showing 406 yards for Matt Stafford and three touchdowns but he can't do it all Let's move on to the wild game of the weekend. Tampa Bay taking on Seattle. It looked like Tampa Bay was in full control of this game. They were dominating the Seahawks for the first half. And then Russell Wilson showed up. Five passing touchdowns. And Seattle gets the win 40-34. to Incredible game here. Incredible game. Russell Wilson just proved once again he's probably leading the choice, uh, leading the, the race for the MVP candidacy. I just like how they just battled. And, again, another game where D.K. Metcalf just stepped up and showed why he was a top talent coming out of Ole Miss. Broncos taking on the Browns. The quarterback change has done some good in Denver. Brandon Allen with two touchdowns in his NFL debut, no interceptions, and leaves Denver to a 24-19 win over the Browns. The Cleveland mess continues. Yeah, the Browns just continue to disappoint. I mean, they win the t uh, time of possession by ele over 11 minutes in this game. Baker Mayfield has 42 passing attempts, just can't get it done. Nick Chubb has over 20 carries, and we thought that if they run the ball that they would have success. That just didn't seem to be the case, and that defense allowed Phillip Lindsay to average 10.2 yards per carry. There's, there's a lot of trouble right now for the Cleveland Browns. All right, who could figure out the Los Angeles Chargers? I think the question is, the answer is no one. They knock off the Green Bay Packers 26-11. to This is the first time, by the way, the Chargers franchise has ever beaten Green Bay, and they did it through the running game. Yeah, a uh, new offensive coordinator steps in and uh, makes it a point of emphasis to run the ball, and 80 yards for Melvin Gordon, 70 yards for Austin Eckler between the two of them, two touchdowns for Gordon in this game. Uh, they really got back to their ways, and what was really impressive was their defense and what they were able to do to that Packer offense, holding uh, Aaron Rodgers to just 160 yards, and this is with Devontae Adams coming back this week. Uh, they really stifled the running game, holding Aaron Jones to just 30 yards, Jamal Williams to 10. I know they were trying to pass their way back in, but just a lot of three and outs and a, a lot of uh, the Chargers getting uh, the Packers off the field. Let's get to the last game. And again, this falls into the category of I'm glad this game fell to this person. Emery, <laughs> Patriots and Ravens. This was going to be the big test for both teams. Big test for the Patriots against a viable dual threat quarterback in Lamar Jackson. Big test for Lamar Jackson taking on Bill Belichick and his defense. 
outside of the second quarter, this was no contest. Baltimore rolls 37-20. to 20. I think the Patriots were a real team, too, so I think that's a, a decent <laughs> win for Baltimore. Yeah, you know what's interesting is that I felt like Lamar Jackson was in complete control in this ball game. It didn't seem like he was pressing or rattled or anything like that. I felt like that game could have gone on for another quarter and he would have been just fine. So I'm not surprised. You only are surprised at things you don't expect. I called this game last week um, as far as like who was going to win and just, again, an impressive performance. Defensively, I was more surprised by how inspired they came out. I thought they played great defensively, especially in the first quarter, which helped get get them that 17-point lead. And I'm going to break my own rule here about um, mentioning this person's name on the podcast, but this is two rushing touchdowns from Lamar Jackson, the most by a quarterback against New England since Tim Tebow in 2011. <laughs> so <laughs> he is now in fine company, we think. I'm not sure. So that was an, an incredible game. Let's go back, though. I want to just backtrack a little bit to some news and notes because last week we had the trade deadline. There was all sorts of craziness going on. And one of the big pickups, we go back to the Seattle Seahawks, Josh Gordon lands in Seattle. There was a whole bunch of stories that have come out now. Apparently, the Seahawks had reached out to potentially signing Antonio Brown before this move was made. That did not come to pass. Josh Gordon arrives, and now all of a sudden, Russell Wilson might not might now have the best wide receiver core in the league. Incredible stuff that he's got at his, at his disposal. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because you have these two tall receivers that do a great job of tracking the football. That's been the mantra of what they do well guys that can that can do great deep down the field even though he's not the biggest i feel like Tyler Lockett is the same receiver you know going deep down the field tracking the deep ball and a deep over route you just add another one in Josh uh, Gordon and whatever you get out of him get out of him is going to be bonus you know you don't rely on him he's in he's the icing on the cake and they right now in my opinion have a pretty good pretty good cake baked with Lockett and Metcalf so whatever they get out of Gordon is going to be icing on the cake I mean, if you just look straight at the stats right now, having just Lockett, well, I shouldn't say just, but having Lockett and Gordon, Russell Wilson is leading in the MVP race, 22 touchdowns to only one interception, a QB rating of 118. We know his chemistry with Tyler Lockett. Last season, they had a perfect 158.3 rating together. This season, they're not missing a beat either. Metcalf comes in and he seems like he's having great rapport with Russell Wilson as well. So when you add Josh Gordon to that mix, we know the big body receiver who can truly go and get it. This is ridiculous to have these three wires. If they're going to have Gordon, I should say, because they'd still have to do his physical, see how, how good, how ready he is to go after the Patriots placed him on IR and released him. If at some point he does get Josh Gordon and they have all three receivers this season, Russell Wilson could be unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, like you said, you, technically the way he's been playing, like you're saying, they don't even really need him. So what makes this great for them is that they don't need to rush him in, kind of like what Patriots kind of had to do with Sanu, get yep. him on the field as soon as possible. With Gordon, you could take his time, learn the playbook, get acclimated with Russell Wilson and company, and it's just another piece that can just be very dangerous. I could take the top off of teams now. Now, now you mentioned the Sanu move. How big do you think is that for the Patriots? Because obviously they, it wasn't as impactful. He did have a touchdown reception, though. Uh, he's had a couple since he's joined New England. How impact is that going to be more impactful or about the same as Josh Gordon going to Seattle? Uh, it might, uh, in my opinion, it's going to be just as impactful. Um, I think what they needed in New England was somebody to take the eyes to get their eyes off of Edelman. I mean, if you yeah. don't have that other piece that you're scared of, you just stop the running back, stop Edelman, and which was and, Gronk before. Exactly. And now this is pretty much a different way of replacing Gronk. So they've tried to find that way in the running game as far as throwing all these different names out there at fullback and uh, these extra tight ends at times, but uh, Sanu is just another piece that could make it easier for guys like Edelman, White, and Sonny Michelle to work. I think it's too soon to determine uh, the imp what the impact could be, because we know what Sanu is. He's yeah. a true utility player. He's a wide receiver, but he's a true utility utility player. He can sling the rock. We, we know what he can do passing the ball yeah. when it comes to him lining up in the backfield, but he is a very good receiver. He's He did it with the Bengals, he did it with the Falcons, and even uh, last night's game, he had 8 for 80-something through the air and is only his second week and we know how complex that Patriots offense uh, offensive playbook is so yeah. I think Sanu can be very dangerous with the New England Patriots because you know people have to watch out for Julian Edelman and James White out of the backfield and having the goat throwing to you makes you even more dangerous yeah and I think when you look at how impactful he was in this game against the Ravens I mean it seemed like he was always open now you have a big body slot receiver a uh, guy that that Brady seems to trust 
right now as far as understanding how to find zo- voids in a zone. And again, you just can't you can't trust a guy like Josh Gordon, in my opinion, to where you can project how he's going to be long term, especially mm-hmm. at this because every year is something different. But also every year you get older, so yeah. we don't know which Josh Gordon will will be there, and he's coming off an injury. True. Let's go from the good to the ugly, and we got to talk about this. Uh, it, it, you know, we're talking ugly. We could talk, be talking about Washington. We could be talking about the Jets, the Dolphins. No, no, no. It's Cleveland, and uh, the tirade that Jermaine Whitehead uh, went on on social media. It started on Twitter. His Twitter got banned, and then he t- picked it back up on Instagram. Apparently, uh, Cleveland has waived him. Is this obviously this is just one player's frustration? It clearly boiled over. But it's clearly a symptom of a bigger problem going on in Cleveland right now. There's nothing going right right now for the Browns. No, not at all. And this definitely kind of epitome or um, epitomizes, <laughs> epitomizes uh, uh, what the team and what they're at right now. But the, he went way over the line. I mean, this was uh, he was calling out people to fight at the stadium yeah, after the game, and, you know, and some, you know, and racial stuff and everything. It's just, it's just threatening no place to kill for somebody. Yeah, you know, that's that's minor. You that's, know, that's that's the least of the problems. Twenty nineteen. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but exactly, and that's and that's pretty much what the Cleveland Browns have been. I mean, you know it's bad when uh, Kareem Hunt, who was looked upon as nobody wanted this guy, is going to get his first start, and that same organization is getting rid of you. You know you went way over the line. Like, like The thing with Cleveland is that it's been like this for years. It's not. It, can you really pin this all on one coach or one GM, or is this just the culture that's surrounded Cleveland for a couple of decades? It's the culture, but is and the culture to me is tied directly to the ownership. And if you look mm. at how he has this organization running juxtaposed to how another blue blood college football program that he has his hands in heavily is looking right now in Tennessee. You see parallels because, you know, he's a big booster down there at Tennessee, influential booster. Tennessee is in shambles, has been since they fired Phil Fulmer for no reason, who was winning championships and had that program in the, it used to be Tennessee and Florida every week or, you know, every year you look forward to that game. Yeah. Now Tennessee is almost in the same breath as Arkansas. And Vanderbilt. Uh, and Vanderbilt. And they wish they have lost three games straight to Vanderbilt, which yeah. had never happened. No. Um, so I think ownership, but you can't get, a, get rid of an owner. For this, it's just about winning. And when you look at this 2-6 and six record, you look at the Browns. Okay, the defense is good. They can run the football. They, they're playing good coverage. They could turn the ball over. They just need Baker Mayfield to play better. Once he starts to play better – then everything else will will you know run its course. The run game is successful. It's going to get even better with Kareem Hunt. They just got to start. I think they need to start running the football, leaning on play action pass heavy. Um, maybe move the pocket left or right to get Baker outside of the pocket because anytime he's in the pocket, he's skittish. They can change things around, but I think because of the losing, all that frustration starts to boil over, and that's where you get Jordan Whitehead's comments. Plus, we we're in this new generation of coverage. Uh, this e-coverage you see now on online yeah. where you have you know people that may not have had access to heckle you outside of the game at the stadium now have a chance to talk to you constantly about your play. Yeah. And you know it's tough to say don't read it, don't have social media. We're all human. You tend to want to know what people say or think about you, whether it's right, wrong, and different. It's human nature. And so if you're a whitehead, you have to have better resolve to not respond you know yeah coach uh hermel would say don't hit sin you know because <laughs> you know what you know what you know these yeah. people are you know emotional they're fans they're emotional and you know when you see these people in real life they'll say oh i, I love your game you're a good player can you take a picture with me and here's my my ugly kid can you sign autograph <laughs> for him and you know you know how these people do so but that's how it happens but online they're Mike Tyson in the 80s. So you have to understand that. People will be <laughs> super tough online, but super friendly in real life. Don't let online, you know, uh, make you lose your job, which you did today. Here's my problem with it. You are a professional athlete. You have been experiencing heckling since probably your college days, right? right. Yeah. You get to the NFL. I know darn well when you go through the rookie symposium, they touch on all of this. Herb Edwards, I think, gives a speech every year, doesn't he? Yep. They or touch he on all this. You know what you're walking into. You know what you're getting yourself into. Where is the rest of the locker room as this is going down? 
You can't tell me that there's not teammates who didn't see what was going on on Twitter before his account got shut down. Now he moves it to Instagram and it continues. Where are the leaders of this team contacting him as this is happening, telling him to stop, telling him to calm down, getting in his ear right away, instead allowing him to go through the full motions of making the threats of violence and meet me at the stadium, this, that, and other, even organization. you telling me that the NFL team doesn't know that a player on one of his public accounts is doing this? There's no way in all hell that the Browns didn't know that this was happening as it was going down, but yet it got to the point where it got to. See, I've got two ways you can look at that at this, at this point. Either A, there are no leaders on this team, which, considering the amount of ego that we knew were going to be in the locker room in the preseason, we thought might be the case, or B, the locker room is just sick and tired of everything in the situation, and they're like, go right ahead. Yo, you're going to take the hit. Go for it. By the way, at the Rookie Symposium, they should just hand out, you know those uh, That Was Easy buttons from Staples? They should have that with Herm Edwards' face on it, and he just says, don't press send. <laughs> By the way, Emery, before we get off this, talking about social media and how you know players can, you know, can get irked by it and you know fans can get under the skin, one player do you th- what player do you think back in the days before social media would have had the most trouble dealing with that in terms of you know their on play performance like do you think like players back in the day would have had a better time just ignoring that or do you think with the way the culture was back in the you know in the 90s and the 80s would players have responded to it more violently than the players do now? I like how I'm the resident old person in the room. <laughs> hey, I'm not gonna ask these but two. <laughs> it's it's tough to say because as much as we joke about that, like man. Don't put everything on social media. I know for a fact that we would have been the same way. You know yeah. how these kids with the offers and, uh, you know, listen to their top. Humans are humans. Right. Yeah. yeah. We Think about it. We used to do stuff without social media and, you know, and do it because now you don't have evidence. But if that was available, we would have did it. If we had access to cameras, yeah. we would have filmed a lot of the dumb stuff that we did. You know, so. Thank God we didn't. But yeah, I mean, we used to think about this in my era. It was all about prank calls and you right. prank and call, you know. And then when call ID came about, now you okay star six seven, we so block six, number. Seven. And then, <laughs> yeah. and so, but then after a while, people stopped answering phones. It was like, all right, well, that's dead. But now I think if we had social media, we would have been the same exact way. So it's tough to say. Can that, you imagine? Can you imagine Chad Johnson Twitter? Oh wow! When he was playing, can you imagine what that would have been like? I mean, he even to this day with him post uh, when Twitter first blew up and everything, and that's when he's matured, right? Yeah, and he was going off. (laughs) But that question was actually posed a few months back to Joe Namath. Yeah, and and they they talked about Babe Ruth if if it was around back in his day with with him partying and everything. And what Joe Namath said is what said was that he would probably be have been out of the league within a few years with every if what he did when he was partying in New York City I mean he got the name Broadway Joe his his career would not have been what it was think about Lawrence Taylor think about what we know now oh man they would have got it I mean he would have been gone the one thing I would have loved to have seen though is Bob Knight on Twitter crossing over to basketball real quick (laughs) Bob Knight on Twitter would have been an absolute national treasure but the whole social media thing we can talk about all that all day long we all have it we all try to use it as responsibly as we can to you know promote ourselves and whatever but there are times when things just go over the line and that's certainly what happened with don't Jermaine White lose the bag for the sake of being e-tough yeah it exactly. ain't worth it exactly let's talk about going to some of our deeper topics here and obviously now we're getting into week 10 there have been a lot of quarterback shifting going on around the league there have been um, you know situations where in Tennessee where you've had quarterbacks benched where with Mariota going down you've had injury problems in Pittsburgh which have been semi-addressed Indianapolis we had an, a retirement and now an injury now the question is which quarterback situation is the most intriguing to all of you guys because there's some really interesting ones out there Denver's made a change and now they get a win Jacksonville made a change to Minshew now they've kind of lost the magic a little bit Miami Lord knows what's going on with Fitzpatrick but it seems to be working what quarterback situation is the most intriguing for you guys at this point I'm going to go with, uh, I think Tampa is pretty intriguing. If you would have asked this question two weeks ago, I think it would have been after the London game, you'd be like, you know what? They He's may, gone. Yeah, they're probably moving on from James. But then after the London game, to hear Coach Arians come out and say none of those interceptions were on James, and expl- no, the Titans game, I'm sorry, and explain that. Yep. It's like, man, you know, he it's rare for a coach to go to bat for a guy like that 
if he didn't like him or if he didn't see him as a future. And then to see Jameis's play yesterday, it's like, yo, Jameis isn't as bad as, you know, the interceptions or turnovers make him out to be. No. They had a great chance to win. Uh, they just couldn't stop Seattle. So I think it is gone from Tampa is going to be in the quarterback market to they may keep Jameis and extend him for maybe two years to see if they can get him to calm down on the on the turnovers and build from there because I think they kind of like what he's been doing. Do you think Tampa Bay maybe goes for a quarterback maybe in like the second round of this year's draft, maybe second, third? Don't waste the first round pick on that just to put pressure on him? Not Maybe, yeah, or someone that, that has the room to develop, that right. they can groom. So maybe second day, so that could be second or third round. So I yeah, that's I could see that happening. Pick up like a Fromm from Georgia, who's like right, a somebody raw prospect that he maybe develop into something. Not Fromm. Fromm is like super average, but I feel <laughs> I feel where you're going with it. But go, but you know, good good uh, good idea of taking a quarterback in second or third round. You don't want to waste a first rounder on a guy. No, because they have other needs that they can address with that first round pick. If right. you got a comparable quarterback, which Jameis has proven at times that he can be. Yeah, the uh, the most intriguing one for me right now is what's going on in Jacksonville. And if you if you would have asked me, like similar to you, just on the opposite spectrum, two weeks ago, I would have said, I, I think everyone would agree, it would be Gardner Minshew should take over for yeah. the rest of the season and possibly be the future of this team and see what he can do for the rest of the year. But now after uh, a tough loss to a division opponent and he hasn't really been the same Minshew mania that when he when he first got onto the field, a couple of games in there, QB rating of under 60, under 70. Is this a time now with Nick Foles ready? Do they go to Nick Foles considering that they're at 4-5 and five and they're still very much in play for this AFC South uh, I competition? I think it's going to be interesting because we, what we know from Foles is that in the clutch situations, he has stepped up. The question is, though, does he doesn't have the weapons that he had in Philadelphia you know, in years past. My question is, he certainly, I, I think the running game is pretty much on par, though, with what the Eagles had in their Super Bowl year, you know, give or take. Probably even better. Probably Probably better better. Yeah. So, but he doesn't have, I don't think the talent around him in terms of the O-line and the weapons. So the question will be now is, you know, how good is Foles individually uh, at making players better, which is something that great quarterbacks like a Tom Brady does year to year out. These guys at wide receivers that we have no idea about, and he turns them into stars. Yeah, and I wonder if Doug Marone feels like this isn't going to be a lost season and he doesn't want to play, I don't know if he's thinking maybe I don't want to play the what-if game, if I don't bring Foles back and I let Minshew go and he continues to have some of these rookie struggles, you know, these yeah. obvious rookie struggles because he doesn't have the top pieces. DJ Chark has, be- has made a name for himself. Chris Conley starting to develop a little bit more consistency, but they're still not household names yet. And maybe he thinks that a guy like Nick Foles, a veteran, can get something more out of him. So it's something that's going to be interesting to see, especially with them being at four and five, what they do uh as far as that goes. And they have Josh Dobbs sitting back there, too, from Tennessee. So that's a question mark. For myself, I mean, other than the Carolina Panthers, who are sitting at 5-3 and three right now and rocking with Kyle Allen, it looks like Cam is still set to miss a few more weeks. So it looks like Kyle Allen has that job at least for a few more weeks. You have to go with this AFC South as a whole because the Houston Texans, they're fine with Deshaun Watson. But the rest of these teams are up in the air. We saw Brissett get hurt this past week yep. against the Steelers, so we don't know what his status is yet. But Hoyer stepped in and still had them in that ball game, throwing three, throwing for three touchdowns. And that's without having T.Y. Hilton to throw to as well. Like Alex said, this Jacksonville Jaguars team, the Minshew and Foles drama, is going to be coming to a head either this week or next week. It's going to be coming to a head, and Jacksonville is right in the mix. But this Tennessee Titans team as well. Tannehill took over. Mariota is on the bench right now. And they're doing – I don't want to say that they're doing bad. They got they got pretty much blown out by the Panthers. It was a close yeah. – a couple – a double-digit game. But it was still a closer game in the beginning. Um, but everybody is right in the mix in this AFC South, even with all of this quarterback turmoil. I mean, Houston is number one right now at six and three. Jacksonville and Tennessee are at four and five. So this division, I would think, is still wide open if this Jacksonville and Tennessee team can pick it up a little bit. What about the Pittsburgh situation? Because obviously, you know, when Big Ben went down, we thought, all right, they're done. What we've seen, though, and we'll talk about this in just a second, is Mike Tomlin's been able to adjust to whatever he's been thrown at him. The question is now, in Pittsburgh, 
is it time to let go of Big Ben? Because they seem to have a couple viable options that are going to win them games with whatever they have in terms of weapons. They do not have a viable option outside of Big Ben. Mason Rudolph has been a liability. Like, he has been a straight liability. But they're still winning games, though. That's the thing. In it doesn't really matter. of Mason Rudolph. Like, Mason Rudolph has been holding this team back. You throw 36 attempts and you only complete, like, 100-something yards. Right now, he is his average yards per attempt is 6.6. That's essentially dumping the ball off. That's, that's exactly what it is. He looks skittish in the pocket. He's taking sacks. And you can't really put all your eggs in the Devlin Hodges basket and I know they now people say, oh, they drafted Rudolph to be the future. Yeah, they drafted him in the third round. So they're not tied to him as their future franchise or, quarterback. Or Hodges, who was undrafted, undrafted completely. And he ran the same offense with Hodges with a lot of dump-off passes. Right. And and they got rid of a guy that actually was pushing the ball down the field. They traded him because they didn't think Big Ben was going to get hurt. They traded Dobbs. Um, but even Dobbs was a guy you didn't envision as a future. So I think this is a team – that may be in the underrated market for a first-round quarterback. The problem mm. is they don't have a first-round pick. Why? Because the guy that has helped them turn their season around, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, is they gave up a first-round pick to Miami to get Fitzpatrick. So they may be in the QB free agent market uh, if they decide to move on from Big Ben, who says he's going to be there for another you know, five years, he says. So he says that, but that arm, you get hurt without, without getting touched, you're getting old, bro. Yeah, I don't know about five years, but with that extension that he signed in the beginning of the season, I see this Pittsburgh situation being a lot like the Patriots situation in Kraft being tied to Brady. That's his guy. And I think that the Roonies are tied to Big Ben as well. That's their guy. With all the drama we've seen this past offseason and past couple off seasons, really, them letting go of Bell, them letting go of Brown, and sticking with Big Ben, even signing him to these extensions over and over. There's no way if Big Ben wants to play next season that they move on from him. Let's. I want to talk about one more before we get into the some of the coaches we're going to talk about, and that's the Indianapolis Colts. Obviously, their situation has just been absolutely insane in terms of a roller coaster. You had a retirement of of Luck at the beginning of the season, which was your franchise guy. He was it. He retires just before the season starts. Questions about Jacoby Brissett, but then Jacoby Brissett turns into a game winner for the Indianapolis Colts. He's been very, very good. He's been much better than some people thought he was going to be. Now he's injured. Now the question is for Indianapolis, who do you turn to? Because you got Brian Hoyer, who looked really good, but you're going to need to find someone who can back up at this point. Yeah, uh, you're going to have to find somebody, another veteran type of player, because they are a winning team. And when you're a winning team, you don't really want to take the chances of a guy um, that, like an undrafted type guy or a rookie because you want a guy that obviously has been there and who can continue to win games for you. And I think Brian Hoyer right now um, is, if this is going to be an extended period of time for Brissett to miss, I think Hoyer is a good fit. Um, Hoyer is a guy that has run a lot of offenses. He's with a very good offensive-minded head coach in Frank Reich. Um, and I think that they'll continue to get the keep the ball rolling, especially when they have another game next week up against a team like Miami that they should be able to continue to roll against. Hoyer is, is – I mean, you saw him throw that hot pick six in the end zone. So, And he was also taking some ridiculous hits in the pocket because he has zero pocket presence. He was lucky to get the win against Indianapolis, but it was a great sign to see Brissett walking on the sideline. Probably could have came back in the game. I played with a, a week after spraining my MCL, and it's all about feel, uh, you know, how you feel that week. And I remember it, for me it was just about Advil – you know, it was the rice treatment, treatment, uh, rest, ice, compression, elevation. That's all I did all week was just like Advil, wrap the knee, keep it up, elevate it, put ice on it. And I was able to play that following weekend. Now, for a quarterback, they could throw that brace on and you could be efficient and effective. But a lot of Jacoby Brissett's game is evading pressure and being able to escape. And if he can't do that, adrenaline was pumping yesterday. Today, it'll be interesting to see how, how – swollen that knee is and how tough it feels so we'll see but Hoyer did give them enough to where they got the win against Pittsburgh but they're going to need better play from him in my opinion to help push this through and keep him on the side for another week or two to help him get healthier let's move into our other segment before we talk about week 10 and then at this point we're about two-thirds of the way through the season getting close to that mark it's time to start talking about some coaches because we haven't really seen anything uh go down yet although maybe there might be something coming coming up in the next 
couple of days or the next couple of hours even. Um, let's start with some coach evaluations and see where they are at. And let's start with an easy one, and let's start with Mike Tomlin. I mean, the start that Pittsburgh gotten off to and with all the things that have happened to them this year, you could easily say for Pittsburgh, all right, if it's going to be a down year, it's a down year. Fair enough. Mike Tomlin is showing why he should be one of the top three prospects for coach of the year at this point. You want to tick off Pittsburgh Steelers fans? Tell them, tell them that Mike Tomlin's a good coach. They've been trying to fire this man forever. For man. a decade. For, like, this man has never had a losing season. You see what it was out there offensively, and they're making it work. And the, with all the changes, he just consistently gets it done. That's the mark of a good coach. Another mark of a good coach is that you never see his team rattled or lose their composure out there on the field. Mm. And because you never see Tomlin lose his composure or rattled on the sideline. Your team is the direct extension of your coach. You see that in Baltimore. You see that in New England. When do you ever see those guys flip out on the sideline? But you see someone flip out on the sideline, and next thing you know, their team is panicking in you know a bad, a crucial situation. So Tomlin is a great coach. He's the second best coach in the league, in my opinion, tenure-wise, other than Belichick. I mean, he hadn't had a losing season in today's NFL. That's just ridiculous. I love the fact that you touched his composure because the first thing that popped into my head when you said Mike Tomlin was attitude reflects leadership. And that is exactly what the Steelers team is all about. We saw that defense get torn up the first few weeks of the season. They make the trade for Minka Fitzpatrick. Now that defense is getting right. If you look at their offensive skill positions, their offensive line is their offensive line. It's gonna it's yeah. pretty good. It's gonna withhold. Other than McDonald, all of their other skill positions, quarterback included, Juju Smith Schuster is the only person who's been in the league for three years. DeAndre Johnson's a rookie. James Washington is second year. Their quarterback, Mason Rudolph, is the second year. Tomlinson has done a phenomenal job getting this P- Pittsburgh Steelers team to where it is. And I don't know if any other coach in the league, besides Belichick, because I also agree that Tomlin is the second best coach in the league. I don't know if anybody else could have this Pittsburgh Steelers team where they are right now. Yeah, and the one thing with Pittsburgh that we always know that we're always uh, accustomed to is their player development. How they just constantly have guys. Uh, the, the way they're able to draft very well, and they're able to develop these players into more than just role players, actual key players on these teams. And one thing that I always give Tomlin is when you look at all the noise Antonio Brown has brought this year and some of the other egos that are in that locker room, the fact that he's been able to manage that and you really didn't hear any issues, and apparently there have been issues for years with these guys, and you didn't hear any of it until Brown was gone. I mean, to be able to uh, keep that all in-house and to put together 10, 11, 12 win seasons and constant division titles – it's just is it's pretty amazing and again with the roster that has been set out the start they had to the year if you said week two this team is going to be four and four nobody would have said, would have thought that and just to see what he's been doing has been pretty crazy the fact that he's limited the noise i know they're known for the steel curtain but it was pretty much the iron curtain in pittsburgh from what we've heard now about what's happened with you know the bell situation and there was the antonio brown situation which has apparently gone on for years uh but real quick down the line, letter grade for Mike Tomlin for the year so far? I think he gets an A, man. You look at what he did. I mean, yep. the only coach that has rivaled what he's done with those personalities that you brought up, Urban Meyer at Florida. When you had Tim Tebow, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Percy Harvin, Raleigh Cooper, Aaron Hernandez, all on the same team. Yeah. I, you got to concur with that one. Hey. Yeah, hey, I mean, this team this team in a lot of ways should be 0 and 8 or 1 and 7. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now let's move to uh to Cleveland. Freddie Kitchens. Um when he came into Cleveland in 2018, he'd been with Arizona for a long long time. Uh brought in, was brought in as the associate head coach, eventually became the offensive coordinator in Cleveland. There were some glimmers of hope last year for Cleveland at the end of the season. It looked like they were maybe starting to go in the right direction, maybe moving that way. They had a decent offseason, brought in some pretty nice pieces. None of it has worked. And as we discussed earlier with the Jermaine Whitehead situation and all the problems that have happened in Cleveland, what has happened with Freddie Kitchens? He's lost complete control of this team. Yeah, so this is the exact opposite when it comes to Tomlin <laughs> as far as handling of ego and handling of players who think they're bigger than the game sometimes. So um, Kitchens knows he has talent. He knows that all the noise that they had in the offseason – and he's playing the player coach 
and that's something that you just can't do. And uh, on top of that, he's just making poor decisions. And you see um, the difference between just being in control of an offense and being in control of an entire organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just seems it's something that he is struggling mightily with. And uh, honestly, if the Browns, with the way they're playing, if, unless they turn it around now, it could be a lost season, which many people – experts non-experts you just looked at this team and you saw minimum eight to nine wins yeah i think when you talk about him and it's just a situational stuff that you saw yesterday in the game against denver the timeout before the fourth down play um when he, i mean before the third down play uh if you had a run play called run the play or just have baker who you already have trusted to be the quarterback to change the play, get you in the right play, and make that situation work for you. Your your team is supposed to supersede, you know, bad coaching or, you know, bad situational coaching. And we saw him struggle there. And then just a lot of the personnel moves. Sometimes as a coach, you have to say to your quarterback who's rattled, listen, on this play, if Beckham has one-on-one, go to Beckham. You have to help him out make decisions. And I think right now, Kitchens is probably showing that he's probably better as – maybe an assistant coach as opposed to a head coach, maybe a, not even a coordinator, but a position coach, which he was. And now you're seeing him go up two levels to be the head coach. And that adjustment is what we're seeing him try to make. And, and I think that's an area where he has struggled uh, mightily and his team has struggled as a result. Because, again, you would think as the running backs coach, Chubb would have the 30 carries a game. Right. And you see that your run game is working. You see your O-line can't pass pro can't pass protect why are you passing the football so I think he has to get acclimated to being a head coach and not just being a coordinator or position coach yeah Kitchens has been very disappointing to this point this season I mean midway towards the end of last season it looked like he was having Baker progress and then with adding all of this superstar talent in the offseason to have them at two and six right now is just unacceptable. And the way that they're playing is just unacceptable. Their play calling is unacceptable. Prior to this week's game, let me read this off for you. Uh-oh. The Browns. He's about stats. Compared to last season through seven games, the Browns have few a worse record, fewer passing yards, fewer passing touchdowns, fewer rushing yards, fewer points scored, fewer defensive interceptions, a lower third down completions. What do they have more of? More interceptions, more points allowed, more touchdowns allowed, more rushing yards allowed, more offensive turnovers, and more team penalties. That says it in a nutshell. Not even that says it in an explosive bomb right there. Like there's no way, no way that he is a good head coach for the Browns this season. That says it in a coconut. Never mind a nutshell. That's just crazy. Now, does he fall into the category? Do you think of maybe a Rex Ryan, who's a good? maybe a coordinator, but not a head coach? Because obviously Rex Ryan had some of the best defenses that we've seen in the last 10 years, but when he got to the head coaching position, he never really got full control over it. It depends because how do we know he was coordinating that offense True. with the with the Browns? You know, you saw Bob Wiley, who was the old line coach uh, with the Browns last year, kind of come out and say it in the summer that, you know, it wasn't him that was calling those plays. It was another guy that he got rid of. Yeah. So... We don't know what he is. Maybe he is just a, a good position coach that had a good ear for Baker Mayfield, and uh, maybe they should have kept Greg Williams. Uh, letter grade, I think we know across the line what this is going to be. Well, I'm, I'm not going to be. <laughs> I'm not going to be completely harsh and give him an F. I'll give him a D because I think he was thrown into a position that he wasn't ready for. He was given a test that he didn't study for at all. Okay. So I'll give him. I'll just for that sake, uh, I'll give him the uh, D because this is his first time as a head coach. Very generous. Very generous. I gotta give him an F. There's just too <laughs> much, way too much talent on this offense for it to be doing as poorly as it is. I know that Baker Mayfield is truly struggling at quarterback, but when you got Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, I know Njoku's hurt, but you had Njoku to start off the season. That talent is just ridiculous. And to be where they are now, just... That sounds like an angry fantasy owner right there. I'm going to go with Alex and give him a D. I don't want to give anyone an F. Uh, He's learned on the job, but he has to be a great interviewer. um, Because (laughs) at the end of the day, you you should have seen this coming. You know, if you are, uh, you know, um, the owner for for the Browns. I forgot his name. uh, But, you know, you have to have seen this coming. You had to have seen this coming. But... I'm going to give him a D. Now I'm going to go with an interesting one here. And it, it on paper, it seems easy. But that's John Harbaugh of the Baltimore Ravens. It seems like we're just going through the division here. 
but a lot of the chatter about the success of the Baltimore Ravens, and rightfully so, has gone to Lamar Jackson, has gone to this defense. The offensive weapons have been outstanding. But John Harbaugh has been the leader of this ship, and I just saw a tweet just now from uh, Jim Nagy on Twitter from last night. The Ravens are the NFL version of Army or Navy, schematically so much more different than the other 31 offenses, hard to simulate in practice and game plan against. How much of a credit does that go to John Harbaugh at this point? It's got, definitely got to give him most of that credit. I mean, it's John Harbaugh, and, you, and he's got a, he's a guy with a pedigree of doing this before, and he's yep. been able to make it work. I mean, now that we see, not now that we see, but what we've seen from Joe Flacco the last few years and to see that they were still a competitive football team and still being able to do something offensively yep. shows you the type of pedigree he has. And this year, missing the majority of his defense, yes, Lamar Jackson took a lot of pressure off of that, but missing a majority of his defense and still being able to win games and now the defense is fully healthy, and you saw what they were able to do to a New England type of team. It looks like that. I mean, it's just this all is part of the culture that John Harbaugh has brought. I think Harbaugh's pedigree has increased at least twofold this season. I mean, last season uh, to have Joe Flacco leave mid midway, Lamar Jackson come in and just take the Baltimore Ravens where he did with packages that were implemented. But then this season forming a whole offense around Lamar Jackson's play and to have the offense clicking like it is and the defense like sort of coming together. They're not one of the best defenses in the league, but they're getting better and better each week. It adds to his pedigree double because that that shows what a good coach is. What can he do with what he has around him and how can he improve the players that are around him? Yeah, and he got his mark on the special team side of the ball, which tells you that he has experience in coaching everybody on the team. So when you talk about a, a guy like uh, Freddie Kitchens, who only coached the running backs, he may have a better relationship with his running backs and understand those guys in and out. But when you're a special teams coordinator, you coach the entire team. You're coaching offensive guys, defensive guys, and you have a, a grasp of what everybody can do and everybody's work ethic, and you're able to put together a plan that changes week to week to week to week. Um, and so I'm not surprised we don't see more special team coordinators go from that route to – the head coaching route because of the experience that they have and he's just a he's a, a a guy that plays coaches to win he believes in his players you never hear any bad things about him coming from former players everybody wants to play for him and he's proven time and time again to have that team competitive why are you smiling no i'm just i'm just i'm just i'm just enjoying the analysis i'm just enjoying the analysis so i'm guessing that's an a across the board from everybody for mr harbaugh no I'm going to give him a B plus. And the only reason why I'm giving him a B plus is because I don't want to be too hot and cold. A for Tomlin, F for Kitchens, A for Hardball. I think Hardball still has a lot of room that he can improve in this offense. In regards to Lamar Jackson developing his passing game even more, I'm not saying it's bad, but I think that it can get even better. That's fair enough. Yeah, I'm giving him an A. Uh, two reasons. One, I don't believe that I should give Tomlin, who's second in the division, a B. I'm an A and then give him a B and he's ahead in the division. It just, it just feels wrong to me, even though it may be true. But And the second thing is, I mean, he's doing this with a running back playing quarterback. So that's just the most amazing part about this whole thing. <laughs> Got to throw it out there. I like, how every, I like how everybody talk about his offenses. Oh, it's like Army and Navy. No, they just run the football and teams just can't stop throwing. Like, it's not Army and Navy. <laughs> Lamar didn't play in the damn triple option offense. Like, they're just running the football and you just can't stop it. One more before we get into the Week 10 scores and I'm going to Cut off Troy and Emery for this one. Alex, this is for you. Adam Gase. The floor is yours. Uh, God. So, I, you know, in the beginning of the year, everybody was on Gase's head. You know, you lose a couple games. You're expecting a big year. You're 1-3, 1-4, 1-5, doesn't have a quarterback, all the excuses. And then he gets a quarterback, beats the Cowboys, and all of a sudden all those Gase haters shut up. But it's because it's too hot and cold. And then he loses just putridly to the Patriots and then you go and lose by two scores to the Dolphins I wasn't saying fire 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 right away but he should be on the hot seat you lose to the Dolphins by two scores and you look completely flabbergasted on how to beat a Dolphins team <laughs> that everyone has just pounded all year even the even look at what Mason Rudolph and that offense and Tomlin and that credit they did in that second half that's what a good head coach does your team goes down to a team like Miami and you take care of business in the second half and they looked like a completely different team 
Gase, when he is down, I would like to look this up. I wish I'd had this coming in, but I would like to see what his success rate is when his team is down in games because every time he's been down this year, he looks like he's done. And it, you could see it on the field. You see guys like Jamal Adams just not stop. I don't want to say Jamal Adams stops, but you just see the energy and the defense and all around is gone. This is a guy that if there's if there's got to be a firing through this season, I hate to do that in the middle of the season because I think it accomplishes nothing. But what else do you – just for the fans' sake, what else do you need to see? There was one point in that game where they showed a shot of him sitting alone on the yep. bench. <laughs> and no, <laughs> you're a head coach in the NFL and you're sitting alone on a bench? I don't – like, there's not one other thing you can be doing while you're getting beat by the Miami Dolphins than sitting on the bench by yourself. Your former team. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's tough, man, because, you know, being in that building and seeing, you know, just preseason – Spring and into the summer, I was all in on the Jets. I was like, you know, they got some pieces here. They have a stable of backs. Their play-action pass game should be excellent. Um, Donald should improve in year two. Uh, he doesn't have to play. He, I didn't expect him to play terrible, but I expected him to play like he played the last back half of the season. I knew he was a turnover-prone guy, but I expect him to be a little bit more like Jameis, you know, a little hot and cold, uh, some high variance and, and, you know, some low lows. Uh, but... Uh, didn't expect this and this again when you have a guy that was also given the GM title in the summer and one of the first things he says is that he wouldn't have paid Le'Veon Bell that that amount of money and he was your biggest leader he has been your biggest leader uh and players look at him like he's the coach you know based (sighs) on what he says it's just it's tough you know and so I just think that he has done a a, a terrible job in, in keeping this thing afloat and it doesn't help that you have a guy that's already in place to step in, and we saw him do well with the Cleveland Browns and Greg Williams, who could also be making things worse. Not saying that he is, but I wouldn't put it past that situation. What hurt me about the Jets this past week, two things. One, you're, caught, you're, you're, you're playing Fitzpatrick. Now here's the guy who's bounced around, Harvard grad. Who you let go. One of the smartest guys in the league, who you let go. And they're sitting here playing cover one, not disguising it at all. Fitzpatrick is going to pick you apart and know where he's going pre-play. That's what hurt me about Greg Williams. Now, about Gase, you're sitting here down, what was it, 12 points, driving at the end of the game. The first time you're driving pretty much all all fourth quarter, all second half, you get down to the red zone with about 40 seconds left on a corner route. You don't kick the field goal. You go for the score. It comes fourth down. You're You're in the red zone. Then you kick the field goal after there's 10 seconds left and you had your three timeouts the whole time. If you're going to settle for the field goal with 10 seconds left, why didn't you take the field goal with 40 seconds left? You kick the onside kick. If you don't get it, you got all three of your timeouts. As a head coach in the NFL, how does that play in your mind that you're going to let 30 seconds run off the clock at the end of the game then decide to kick the field goal? I think the biggest thing with Gase is that he doesn't show – we talked about it, you know, coaches you know, blowing up on the sidelines and then the team loses composure – there are times when a head coach needs to show that he cares, that he needs to show that emotion, that he needs to slam a clipboard once in a while to get the team inspired. He doesn't do that. He stares at the play card and then stares up again. And then I feel he disrespected, he kind of disrespected the players post game when he says, yeah, well, they tried. <laughs> so did you. So did you, bud. Yikes. If I'm a player in that locker room, I'm heated today. And my, my biggest issue in the end of all this, I mean, if you winning and losing games, the way they're doing it is just in the worst ways. But the, what's the biggest thing to me is that you're brought in here. You're the first offensive-minded head coach the Jets have had since, what, the early 90s? <laughs> this is the first. They, they don't they envision a defensive, hard-minded guy most of the time as, yeah. your, as your leader of your franchise. They brought you in for one reason, and it was to develop the quarterback. It was to develop Sam Darnold. He was going to go under your tutelage, and he was supposed to be the. You were supposed to be the guy that leads him to get him, uh, the, get the most prominence out of him. And what have you done? You have taken not now. I'm not saying Darnold doesn't deserve <laughs> like you know the the way he's been playing like deserve his own faults, but you have done nothing to better him at all. Yes, Darnold should be throwing some of these dumb passes instead of just throwing the ball away. He's trying to force balls, but there, there's just got to be. There's got to be something to help this guy, and you're not doing anything. Donald has regressed 
mightily so far this year to a, almost probably worse to a big than a Baker uh, level, and it's um and that's that was your job when you got here. Your job was to uh, was to build up this quarterback in this offense, and he's done nothing. Maybe it wasn't that Gates was a quarterback guru, but maybe Manning was actually pretty good at football. That's just a question, just a thought. <laughs> yeah, just a thought. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the Week Ten schedule. Let's quickly go around the room for all these games and have a quick take on all of these. Let's start with Thursday night. L.A. Chargers looking for to back-to-back wins after a big win over the Packers, taking on Oakland. What are we looking for? Excited for this game because both teams are playing really well. Raiders are playing some good football. They definitely are, and both teams last week got the running game going for the Chargers. Raiders have had Josh Jacobs rolling all season. Can it continue? And both teams need it. One at 4-5, and five, one at 4-4 four and four in that AFC West. Both teams are going to need this one. Huge game at Soldier Field. Lions taking on the Bears. Bears have... Looked better on defense, but the offense is still struggling. Lions might have to be in for a good win here. Yeah, and I thought the Lions played well enough to win last week against the Raiders. Chicago is in desperation mode, so we'll see what that translates to offensive play in this ballgame. This is going to be a good matchup. Both defenses playing fairly well. Opposite sides of the ball when it comes to quarterback in this one. Interesting to see if the Bears continue to ride with David Montgomery getting all these touches. Uh, it seems to be the only success they had offensively these last two weeks. Cincinnati Bengals still looking for their first win. Baltimore coming to town on a big high, but they did lose to Cleveland earlier in this season. So the question is, did they stumble over themselves coming off a big win? Todd McShay's top five quarterbacks from the 2018 draft was <laughs> Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, and number five, Luke Folk. So, <laughs> talking about this game, you're right. They have to be wary because this is a team in Cincinnati that is going to be thirsty and desperate for a win. Yes, they will be thirsty and desperate for a win, but they will not get it this week, especially not starting Finley in this one. This can be a bad one. Yeah, this got to avoid a trap game, though, because you got a, uh, Bengals coming off a bye, had an extra week to prepare, and like you said, Ravens are on the biggest high they can be this season, so definitely trap game right here. Meanwhile, back in the other side of Ohio, Cleveland, will there be more misery in Mudville as the Browns take on the Bills? This could be a defensive struggle between these two. Yeah, it could be. And we, it's funny when people talk, well, the Browns are an easy part of their schedule, forgetting the fact that the Browns are 2-5 and five themselves. Like, <laughs> you know, so they're part of that schedule. So I think that the Browns and <laughs> Bills, this is, is going to be an interesting game, man. I can't, the takes from this game, because both of these fan bases – are all in. Oh, yeah. They are all in. Bills with Josh Allen, they think he's great despite him having more turnovers and touchdowns. And the Browns fans, Baker Mayfield can do no wrong. So this is going to be a great game for the takes. These are two fan bases that I don't want to meet in a dark alley either. That could be a nah, real they probably real line. nice in public. Eh, I don't nice know. Not to tables anyway. That E-coverage. You know what I'm saying? That E-coverage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to talk about trap game, I would say that this would be it. The Bills at 6-2, and two, Browns at 2-6. and six. Probably should be better than that if Baker played better. But if Baker can turn this around or play better this week, this is going to be an interesting one. We say it week after week, but if Freddie Kitchen wants to help out his quarterback, he would hand the ball off to Nick Chubb. And now Kareem Hunt coming back. This is a Bills defense that just gave up 100 yards to the Redskins and Adrian Peterson. Green Bay, the site for the next one. Packers taking on the Panthers. Should we be concerned about this Packers team after their loss this week, especially with Christian McCaffrey coming in with, with uh, leading this Carolina offense? Especially with future franchise quarterback Kyle Allen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, nah, but it's, it should be a great game. It should be a lot like what we saw last week with Chargers and Packers because the Panthers' defense is really good. Now, I'm not concerned about the Packers in the long run, we're used to seeing the Packers make runs towards the end of the season. This could be a two-game spread, though, because I feel that the Panthers team are definitely better than the Chargers, and that defense is definitely better. The Packers had a nice little piece of humble pie last week and definitely had an eye-opener. So uh, I expect them to bounce back at home, especially with the week coming up to the, coming up to the bye week. They're definitely going to want to get into that with a high note. On to the Superdome, the Saints taking on the Falcons. Remember, you got your Saints sweatshirt on in the studio today. But the question is... Can the Saints continue to rally now that we have a Drew Brees back at full strength? And the, can the Falcons find anything on defense? Yeah, because I'm going to the gym after this. Like I'm like you make it sound like I'm a diehard Troy's Giants fan over here. But um, this is the best rivalry in the NFL. <laughs> Ooh, there's Easily. a hot take. Easily, I don't know about Easily. that. We'll, we'll, we'll do a Twitter poll and 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 put the rivalries. But this rivalry is one of the more exciting ones. Um, and the Saints are coming off of a bye, so we'll see how efficient they are to keep a, a beleaguered Falcons team down in the doldrums who just made some coaching switcheroos, move some coaches around that are coaching like uh, different positions now. Yeah. So we'll see if that helps. I'll say this. In that Twitter poll, this won't even be top three. 
But oh. this uh, this game this gonna be a good game. I mean, these two teams always play each other fairly tough. But I wouldn't say the Saints are rallying. I say the Saints continue to dominate. They're seven and one right now. Not bis- miss gonna miss a beat. Second game back for Drew Brees, future Hall of Famer Drew Brees continues to roll in this one. Yeah, I don't see unless the Falcons did something during the bye week, maybe some. HGH, I don't know, something different to spice <laughs> up that team. I don't see this one uh, being too uh, too close. But, yes, these two teams do play each other well, no matter the record. So, hopefully we get one of those games. And there goes your chance to be an NFL analyst with that quote right there. <laughs> they say misery loves company. Jets taking on the Giants. Emery? <laughs> it's going to be a great game because, How? Again, well, you have a lot of storylines. you got the two young quarterbacks. Uh, both teams have one, uh, you know, rookie and a first year, a second year guy. You have the Leonard Williams dynamic. True. You have two good tailbacks in in Bell and uh, and Saquon Barkley. So it should be a, it's going to be an inter- entertaining game. I think an interesting game, um, one that I will be at one, uh, <laughs> at one o'clock East time. Hopefully, it, it moves quickly. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is going to be a good one as well. I mean, even though these two teams meet every four years, still a bigger rivalry than Saints-Falcons. Oh. But um, <laughs> and the, this is the battle for New York right here. I mean, this is going to go far in headlines in Jersey. this area. I was about to say Buffalo saying, <laughs> I'll still oh, take that. Battle of Jersey, whatever. I'll still take that. This, Like you said, this is going to be a good one. You got the Jets reeling after this Dolphins loss. Whoever loses this game is going to get tons of backlash. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, when I look at this, I see two coaches that have been get, taking a lot of flack all year. Pat Shermer's got a little bit more of an excuse going with Daniel Jones, rookie quarterback his first time, and they've showed signs at times of being competent. This is a game where if the Jets go off back-to-back losses with the Dolphins and the Giants, I don't know. Let's move to this next one. The question will be, who will have more turnovers, Jameis Winston or Cliff Kingsbury as the Cardinals take on the Bucks? <laughs> yeah, I think this will be an interesting game because you have the two passers that are that are high-variance guys. So we'll see what, which defense shows up because both defenses really have issues in stopping the pass, in, in, my, in my opinion. Yeah, these are two teams who we know we have seen them put up points mm-hmm. week in and week out, and we've seen them be in every single game pretty much and always going down to the wire. It's going to be interesting to see how this one finishes. Is one going to blow the other one out for the first time, or is it going to be some of the same old that we've seen the whole year? Yeah, these uh, these two teams are mirroring each other, I think, and uh, it is going to see which one bends more and who what's going to be the uh, who's going to make that costly decision in the end. Is it going to be like you said, Cliff Kingsbury, or is it going to be a Jameis Winston interception? Kansas City Chiefs six and three, taking on the Tennessee Titans at four and five. Patrick Mahomes might be back for this one. We'll have to see. There's a rumors that he might be starting again this week. Doesn't seem to matter for Kansas City. Tennessee has problems offensively. They got great talent at receiver, but they don't have the passing game to get those guys to football and I think that right there if you can't score you're not going to beat Kansas City yeah Kansas City offense is still rolling even though that they have Matt Moore and that defense looks to be improving as well what is Tennessee going to bring in this one for them that's the big thing with the Chiefs defense is that it looks like it's getting a little bit better and they're getting after the quarterback so if they're going to get out Tannehill this could be over quickly Lucas Oil Stadium, the Dolphins looking for two wins in a row. They take on the Indianapolis Colts, who are dealing with another change of quarterback. I think if they start Hoyer, or if Hoyer starts, the Dolphins have a shot in this game. Uh, They haven't been terrible outside of week one where they got blown completely off the map. So they've been in games to where they have an opportunity. They were in that Pittsburgh Steelers game. They won the game, obviously, last week against the Jets. This is an intriguing game, in my opinion. Really critical of Hoyer here. But uh, Long think, sample size. <laughs> yes, yes, very true. But I think that Colts team is still complete, even with Hoyer. All the skill that they have on the offense and defense, it's still going to be a long day for the Dolphins in this one. I think with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback and this team's feeling themselves a little bit, this could be a good game. Uh, the Colts aren't a team that blows anybody out, even with Brissett. They're, they're a team that plays close to the vest every game, so they're going to have to limit their mistakes, and that's what Brissett does. Brissett limits mistakes, so having Hoyer there, he just can't throw this game away. On to Heinz Field. The Steelers seem to have righted the ship. They're back to 4-4. Four and four. The L.A. Rams are coming off a bye, but they've been pretty mediocre in the last couple weeks. Could be a big chance for a win for the Steelers. They have, but the Steelers' offense, I think, really has to match score for score. It's the same situation, I think, that we talked about with the Titans in Kansas City. 
Pittsburgh's offense really has to come ready to play. Again, yeah, it's a matter of which Rams offense are we going to get. We've seen times this season where that Rams offense was stifled, and we know that this Steelings, Steelers defense has been getting better and better week to week. So, yes, they'll have to match score for score, but how many scores is that going to take? True. I can see this game being actually a defensive struggle with the Rams coming into uh, Heinz Field. Jared Goff hasn't really been lights out this year. Um, and this, the way the Steelers' defense is playing, and with the addition of Minka Fitzpatrick, it's been pretty unreal. Um, I think th- that secondary is going to give uh, Jared Goff some troubles. Sunday night in Jerry World, the Cowboys taking on the Vikings. This could be the most intriguing game of the week. Cowboys coming off a bye. Minnesota didn't look good in their last game, but they didn't look bad either. Yeah, I, I like how you put that. He didn't look good, didn't look bad. They're still, I think they're still that sixth seed in the NFC, and the Cowboys, I think, are hitting you know, their, their uh, stride. Uh, they got all the pieces on offense. Defensively, they got speed. It's going to be an interesting game. This is another one of those potential playoff games. Yeah. The, I think that this is the uh, the matchup of the week, this Vikings and Cowboys. Both of their defenses are fairly young and very good. Uh, Kirk Cousins is still balling out. He had three touchdowns this past weekend. Uh, I assume – uh, that Dak is he's gonna still ball out. This is gonna be a good game. A game of the quarterbacks. Which one is gonna show up? Cowboys coming in healthy with coming off a bye home game, primetime game. You know they're gonna show up. Uh, will the Minnesota Vikings show up is the big question. And it's Kirk Cousins on primetime, which usually never is good. <laughs> we move we move now to Monday night. The true litmus test for the undefeated San Francisco 49ers. They take on the Seattle Seahawks. This is going to be the deciding who's really going to be the division champion, these two matches. Yeah, that's, that's a good point because they have two games against each other. And I, I would like to say that as much as I rag on Jimmy Garoppolo, he played his best game last week against the Cardinals. Every time they needed him to step up on third downs, he found a guy open to move the sticks. Albeit something was scary, and it was scary luck, it worked out for him, and he did what he had to do to seal that game uh, because they were on the brink, man. If, they, if the Cardinals get another stop – they probably go down and score. So Jimmy G definitely stepped up. Let's see if he can stack another good performance against a very tougher defense. I have been waiting for this matchup for weeks. <laughs> I have been berated by these Niner fans. My cousin's a Niner fan. All I see on my Facebook feed is Niners finally this, that, the other. Him coming at me for all my takes against Jimmy G. I cannot wait for this Monday night. I hope that Russell Wilson continues his performance. That's what I'm looking for right now. This defense against Russell Wilson. What will he be able to do? And it's going to go... This going to be very important in his MVP case. Not like you're playing favorites or anything like that. No, not at all. No. <laughs> this is definitely this definitely has that feel of uh Alan Kaepernick's early days with um with Russell Wilson and the, and this these two teams going at it. Um no Crabtree or Sherman anymore to rip off chains or whatever they were doing, but um <laughs> but no, this is I'm really excited for this game. Uh definitely the best game. Finally a Monday night game that like makes sense. Um and uh Honestly, it's going to come down, I believe, what Emery was saying with Jimmy G. Can you put a second game together? Because you're going to have to keep up with probably at least the leader in the MVP race. Well, we've now gone from Halloween candies at the start of this podcast to an unbelievable Monday night game. I think we've run the gamut here. That'll do it for the NFL All-32 Podcast Week 10 Preview. Again, if you want to listen to any of our other podcasts, and you can get all your football uh, content for Football Game Plan on SoundCloud and iTunes, subscribe while you're there and give us a five-star rating. For David Hassagan, Alex Marinoni, Troy Anthony, and the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt, thanks for listening in. We'll see you next week.